from the laboratories of your name here had come the key to the secret that had baffled man through the ages. No longer a dream, but a reality was your product here. A brighter future unfolded. Thanks to your name here. Employment boom. Not only in the vast modern facilities of your name here, but in factories everywhere. Geared to supply this vital new industry that is reshaping our economy and transforming the lives of millions. This episode of Diffusion Science Radio is supported by you, the listener. Make a donation directly to www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. <sighs> Toxicology, astro seismology, magnetism, the dark side, genetically engineered potatoes, planetoid, planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, TV watches the watchers and stimulated biohackers. But first up, Here's the news. Is your TV spying on you? The Dutch consumer rights organisation, Consumentenbond, asked legal firm Considerate to examine the privacy terms and conditions of several major smart TVs. They found that all of them spy on you and report back through the internet. This is where Big Brother steps in. Governments around the world like the Australian Federal Government are proposing data retention laws that will require internet service providers to store everything that your TV reports back to base because terrorism. Considerate also monitor the actual network traffic of the smart TVs to see how much data they sent to their masters, how often, and whether or not it was encrypted to prevent interception. Smart TVs not only allow for streaming of internet video, but allow you to browse the web, read email, use social media, and Skype. The TV manufacturers all admit to sharing your information with third parties, but don't feel the need to disclose who those third parties are. Basically, they want to know what you watch and what your interests are. Market researchers can then use that information to profile you and predict which ads to show you that are most likely to persuade you to buy their clients' goods. Police can profile you. Secret police can stalk you. When you first connect your smart TV to the internet, you're asked to agree or disagree with the terms and conditions on the screen. At this point, privacy law in the EU and in Australia require informed consent. That is, you should be told who collects data, what data is collected, what they want the data for, and who they will share your data with. You also need an easy way to change your mind and remove consent. Sadly, none of the manufacturers comply with these legal requirements. In reality, you'd need to be told the terms and conditions in clear language before you bought a smart TV by the retailer. If you refuse to agree to the terms and conditions after you've paid for your smart TV, then it stops being smart, as you're refused access to all the internet functions that you just paid for. 
Surely, if you pay for an internet TV, then you should get a working internet TV instead of being held hostage to spying. Alternatively, TV manufacturers could share the revenue for selling your private data with you. Sony was the clearest on what data it collects and what it intends to use the data for. In just six pages, Sony say, we follow your viewing habits. They don't say who they share your data with. When network traffic was monitored on Sony TVs by Considerati, Sony was found to be reporting back home every time you switched the channel or did anything. LG in 16 pages doesn't actually say what data it collects. In 2013, Jason Huntley, a UK owner of an LG TV, used the menu option to switch off data collection. When he checked the network traffic from the TV, he saw that the TV was still sending messages to an LG web domain about his viewing habits and which files were stored on USB drives hooked up to his TV. The data was unencrypted, in the clear. He saw data being sent every time he switched channels. He found the names of his children being sent to LG because they were in the file name of a family Christmas video on a USB drive. LG boasts about this in a video promotion for LG ads intended for advertisers. LG Smart Ad analyzes users' favorite programs, online behavior, search keywords, and other information to offer relevant ads to target audiences. LG use all this information to place ads all over the TV screen you paid for. Jason writes in his Dr. Beats blog how tech-savvy users can block the data reporting and the targeted ads by blocking the LG domains on their broadband router, while still allowing the firmware updates to be downloaded and video streaming to still work. Obviously, you shouldn't have to have the skill and put in the effort to do this. LG responded to all the criticism in the press by announcing it would release a firmware upgrade that would stop the TV from spying on your USB drives. They still spy on you changing the channels. Of course, it could be worse. What's worse than your USB drives being scanned and your every viewing habit being exploited? Some TVs now have microphones installed. This last week, the news has come out that Samsung's voice-controlled smart TV sends every word you say to a third-party company for conversion of speech to text to command. And shared. Every word you say will be taken down and used against you, and not just by Samsung. Samsung's privacy policy for the TV warns you, please be aware that if your spoken words include personal or other sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured and transmitted to a third party through your use of voice recognition. A TV that's been switched off can be switched on by voice commands. In order for the TV to hear the voice command to switch on, the TV must always be listening. That means the microphone is listening to you even when the TV is switched off. Samsung also say that they can't be held responsible for these third parties. Samsung is not responsible for these providers' privacy or security practices. You should exercise caution and review the privacy statements applicable to the third-party websites and services you use, even when Samsung don't tell you who they are. Assuming we trust Samsung, who are these third parties? According to the terms and conditions, Samsung affiliates, 
business partners, video content providers, wireless carriers, market researchers, service providers, billing services, and others. Samsung claims it doesn't store the voice data because it's not them doing the recognition. It's probably the company they've been looking into taking over, Nuance. Nuance is a third-party voice recognition service who state in their privacy policy that they share your data with unnamed third parties. And of course, these fourth or fifth parties could be sharing very promiscuously all over the place. Nuance doesn't say how long they store your data. Nuance also provide voice recognition for Android and iPhones. They've got the market. Nuance will allow you to opt out of them selling your data to direct marketing companies, but only by posting a snail mail paper letter to their legal department. You could, of course, switch off voice recognition. Samsung have this to say about you turning off voice recognition. If you do not enable voice recognition, you will not be able to use interactive voice recognition features, although you may be able to control your TV using certain predefined voice commands. While Samsung will not collect your spoken word, Samsung may still collect associated texts and other usage data so that we can evaluate the performance of the feature and improve it. In other words, they will still listen if you switch off voice recognition by collecting the text of the transcript that Nuance creates of everything you say. You really should be able to use the voice recognition on your voice control TV without your privacy being breached. There's no need at all for every one of your words to be stored or shared to provide the service you've paid for. Sony admit right there in the terms and conditions, voice control works without it. Isn't that just grubby exploitation? Of course, it could be worse. What's worse than having your every word recorded and sent to be shared and analysed and exploited? Some of the new smart TVs also have cameras. Do you have a TV in your bedroom? The Samsung smart TVs have gesture control and face recognition. Samsung have this to say. Your smart TV is equipped with a camera that enables certain advanced features, including the ability to control and interact with your TV with gestures and to use facial recognition technology to authenticate your Samsung account on your TV. The camera can be covered and disabled at any time, but be aware that these advanced services will not be available if the camera is disabled. For now, Samsung claim that face recognition and gesture interpretation can be done on the TV's very own computer processor and doesn't need to be sent to a central server over the internet like the voices do. So your privacy only depends on the security of your TV and your trust that the TV manufacturer won't send a firmware upgrade in the future that does start streaming the video from your TV's camera. There's currently no law preventing TV manufacturers from taking the video from this camera and broadcasting it on TV's funniest embarrassing home videos or posting to YouTube because you will have agreed to the camera being used somewhere deep in the terms and conditions. If anyone does break into your gesture and voice control TV, then they can watch you and hear you any time you're in the room. Hackers have been tapping into webcams for years. It turns out it's not much different to hack into an internet-enabled TV's camera. ISEC security engineers demonstrated the camera microphone hack in 2013. Samsung have since patched that security flaw, but the security researchers are sceptical that the patch stops the camera being remotely accessed. More recently, at the Breakpoint Security Conference, they demonstrated a smart TV camera microphone hack, 
and advise people don't put a smart TV in your bedroom. George Orwell wrote in his novel, 1984, the telescreen received and transmitted simultaneously. Any sound that Winston made above the level of a very low whisper would be picked up by it. Moreover, so long as he remained within the field of vision which the metal plaque commanded, he could be seen as well as heard. There was, of course, no way of knowing whether you were being watched at any given moment. So, outside of Big Brother, the NSA, ASIO, GCHQ and the other criminals, who would want to connect the video cameras in your TVs to the internet? Well, market research companies like Hume want to see who's watching their ads. They want to know how many people and how old, and ideally their identities, all the better to profile you with, and all the better to sell you with personalised ads. They want to know if the TV is on, but you're not paying attention. Cisco has developed technology to recognise facial expressions to better determine your response to advertising. Are you bored or interested? Soon advertisers may insist on knowing how many TVs showed their ads, in the same way as they demand to know how many web browsers viewed their ads. Sadly, you can't avoid all this by buying a dumb TV, because they don't make them anymore. However, you could refuse to connect your smart TV to the internet, but then you'd miss out on streaming video. How can you watch internet video and catch up TV on a not smart, internet disconnected TV? Well, you could buy a Google Chromecast, a USB dongle that plugs into one of your TV's spare HDMI and USB ports. Chromecast connects to your Wi-Fi network and lets you send content to your TV screen from the Chrome browser on your phone, tablet or computer. So Chrome can't spy on your channel changes or transmit the contents of your USB drives. What about your browser history? Well, you can send videos using an incognito window that doesn't record your browsing history on your computer. Sadly, Google admit in their privacy policy that they still record the URLs of the videos you send to your Chromecast. Of course, any commercial gesture and voice controlled internet console or set-top box will be spying on you. You really only have two choices. Either make your own set-top box by connecting your computer display to your TV and use the computer for all the internet functions protected by your computer's firewall and anti-malware software. Or, like Winston in 1984, you could finally learn to love Big Brother. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Biohack Sydney launched its new underwater robot OpenRov last Thursday at Calavelli Beach. I went to participate in the launch of the Harold Holt 2 and to chat to the speakers at the meeting afterwards. Peter Simpson Young has just finished a Bachelor of Science in Neuroscience and Psychology and a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy. He's been working on making a TCDS, a transcranial direct current stimulation device. I began by asking him, what is transcranial direct current stimulation? It is a method used in research and clinical neuroscience, which has gained a lot of traction over the last five years, given a lot of interesting and novel research. Um, it's been used in a lot of treatment of depression and it's been a lot of funding from um, the US military and the Air Force um, has been shown to be effective in enhancing attention and things like that. 
And so you've actually started building, and I think you're in several iterations now, you've been building your own device to try this out. Yeah, so initially when I saw all the research, I wanted one for myself, but looking at all the medical devices uh, cost tens of thousands of dollars, and although there are lots of devices for sale online, given it's an unregulated market, there's a lot of really unsafe devices. There's a device coming out this year which is going to be the first very safe device called the Think, and that's a $13 million startup coming out of Boston. But in the meantime, I wanted to develop a device which I knew would be very safe and able to ensure I got the benefits out of the research as it came out. So to make it safe, you're the expert on neurology and you've got someone working with you who's Neil's the expert on electrical engineering? That's right. He's an electrical engineer and a maker who is very cautious in its development. So we've been making a device which is inherently safe and cannot put out the voltage anywhere near the lowest recommended voltage and also redeveloping electrodes to get around the safety concerns that we found with the standard electrodes that you see in research which uh, don't conform to the head very well um, have been reported to have a pungent smell so we wanted a 3D printed electrode which would get around those problems. So what are some of the effects, what are some of the benefits that you will hope to get from these and what are the ones you've already tried? Well, my main interest in TDCS was to assist in my mindfulness and meditation practice. I've been a big fan of meditation. I wanted to use contemporary neuroscience methods and that the research into mindfulness to try to improve my life and my cognition in the best way possible. So a lot of, a lot of the research now is being used to is directed towards treatment of migraines depression and and whatnot but i wanted something that would just assist my day-to-day functioning (laughs) and so basically you're up to the third iteration of the machine so the first version was just a development on nathan whitmore's OpenSTEM project Mm -hmm. so we improved some of the software and the hardware and and worked on from there the second step was to miniaturize the device so it would be um, mountable into the electrode and we'd have better control over it um, and now we're working on a um, cloud-enabled uh, device uh, with more feedback through a little screen, which means that we can be more cautious and careful about the um, currents coming out of it, as well as mean that we can gather more um, effects and more, uh, by monitoring scores on cognitive tests, etc. So you choose the electrode positioning on the head based off the 1020 system, which is the standardized method of electrode placement, which we developed to use with EEGs. When you apply a current across two points of it's chosen by the 1020 system, half of that current is excitatory and half of that current is inhibitory. When you turn that current off, the point of excitation has an increase in plasticity, so you'll increases learning or long-term potentiation as it's called and in the the second half of the current it is inhibitory and reduces learning. To use a TDCS not only do you need to know very carefully about the 1020 system but you need to know enough about electrical engineering that you reduce any possibility of overstimulating your brain and having the opposite effect and or far worse effect. 
check out the research into TDCS because it is so bizarre and it is really cool. Professor Bixon wrote a paper last year called Your Electric Pharmacy, where he, and he's a major researcher in the field where he talks about how in the future we're going to move away from using um, drugs as, as our main pharmaceutical method and towards this low-cost, low-side-effect, highly effective method of treating things like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia and things without having to support massive pharmaceutical companies and things. Sounds very good. Well, Peter, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was Peter Simpson-Young talking about his transcranial direct current stimulation project. This was just a teaser interview. I'll interview him in more depth on the project when I have a replacement microphone. Garrick Becerro is from La Paese, Manila, a biohacker community in the Philippines that's just starting out. I caught up with him at the very noisy Clavelli Hotel after he spoke at the Sydney Biohacker meeting and asked him what La Paese is all about. So right now we're still establishing our open lab. So in the meantime, while we're doing that, we are well, basically we're lending our expertise to different communities, different groups, and help propagate the idea that you can use biology to, I mean, you can tinker with biology, you can, you can learn more about that, and you don't need to be in a university. You, you can do it on your own, basically. So it's sort of citizen science. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Citizen science, that's what we're all about that and the public understanding of science. So with your biohacking, you, you mentioned in your talk that you're looking at food technology? Yes, yes. So right now, we're working with Gawad Kalina Farm. It's a, it's a local farm in Bulacan. And that's where a lot of social entrepreneurs run different companies to help the local communities. They make like, tea, like they bottle tea, and some of their, um, they sell mushrooms, their produce, and some of their issues have been like long like how do you know how long a product keeps and we're helping them out to one project that we're working on is to to track how the product will degrade over time using spectrophotometry how do you look at things with spectrophotometry right so it's it can be a very expensive tool so what we do with our with our makeshift uh, device is that it's basically just a webcam and then it, you, you keep it in a box a very dark box because you all, all the light you you want has to come from a lamp so if you can imagine this uh, on one side there's a camera on the other side there's the lamp in between is the product usually suspended in a liquid that, that, so the the light that comes through will be different as the molecular composition of the material changes and you can track that over time and through that you can uh, in correlating that with other things like taste smell that sort of thing if like how you want to your product to stay as as best that you want you you determine like at this point after after two weeks of keeping it's no longer good and if and the profile looks like this so when the profile looks like this let's not sell it anymore that sort of thing you've also been looking at urban sustainability yeah yeah so 
one of the big problems in the Philippines is, especially in, in Metro Manila, is that it's very congested and there's very little foliage and, and and it's also hard to ship like produce. That so to maximize the space, we're trying, we're looking into vertical farming initiatives. So we're we're helping out different communities to how would that actually go? We keep, we're looking at that in Metro Manila and the like the surrounding provinces. You also mentioned hacking projects. Yes, yes. So we're working with a mine museum, uh, a local science museum in, in Manila, where we're trying to get hacking into the hands of, of, of the general public and to get that ball rolling. Because in the Philippines, there's there's not much of a culture of, of just tinkering DIY stuff. So we want people to be aware. And so we're, we're, we're in touch with the museum because they really have that reach. They have thousands of, of visitors every day. And when uh, uh, right now, we're just two people in Manila and two people in France. So, I mean, with the help of a large museum we can really get to a lot of people so we're we help them design their hacker space and advise them like what sorts of things do you need to do biohacking and yeah we just want people in general to just get their hands on and their ideas their minds on the idea of using biology to tinker with it well, right now uh, we're just starting out where the, the real idea is to really have an open space to it we have we're, we have some spaces in, in Manila but it's not really open to the public yet so it's just we're really waiting out if you want to learn more about us you can find us on Facebook right now that's really the best way to, to find us you can find uh, Lapayas Manila you should just type it on the search bar on Facebook you should find it we don't really have a running website just yet It'll, it's all in the running you can look for us uh, I'm Derek Bercero my, my, my partner is, is Danny Makatulad we're, we're setting that up and the people from La Payas that, that actually got in contact with us are Celine Chow and Marie Baron. And yeah, so that's the team that is really getting this ball rolling. Well, Garrett, thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. So that was Garrick Pacero from La Payese, Manila. That was the last of the noisy interviews, I promise. Thanks to last year's donors, I'll have a new microphone for next week's show. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on Diffusion? Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produced Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including 2 Triple H in Hornsby, Karengai, 2 NVR in Nambucca Valley, 2 X in Canberra, and 3 MBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. You can now hear Diffusion on Stitcher, radio on demand and on the go. Download the free app from stitcher.net and review Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links and photos 
about this week's show. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.